You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC, season two, episode seven. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. As always, Angie, hello. How are you? Hi, Joel. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you look glad to be here. You look glad. And then, Chris, you also look glad to be here. Joel, I'm glad to be here. And it's <laughs> March, and that means it's going to warm up here real soon. Yes, the sun wow. is shining. He's so hopeful. And, uh, By faith. Guys, guys, it is March. I'm Okay, I want to just hear your honest opinion on this. In North Central Indiana, is March the worst month? No. No. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to disagree with Angie. Okay, you lay out your argument. Here's my case. I think it is because it's so stinking unpredictable. The only thing that makes March worth it is basketball. Hundred percent madness. That's and that like that like tied you over in the beginning of April. Exactly it. This is why everyone, if they have a scheduled surgery, they get it done during March because it's just why would you want to be out walking around? That's what I. That's what I say. That's true. It's true. I see March as a month of hope. Oh wow! Like God actually gives us hope that the sun comes back. We don't have the blistery winds of winter mm. and it can remind, come in like a lamb. Chris, I know you, I don't need to remind you of this. Last year, <laughs> last year I sat in my office and heard Angie say it was April. When we got to April, she goes, you know, it's going to snow this month. And I, I rebuked her. I rebuked her loudly. <laughs> April 20th. What happened? Snow on the ground. So well, that's because my husband, you know, he follows, um, what the know. farmer's almanac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Highly, highly scientific document. He knows he still has to keep the plow on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's, well, that's, you know, what's the problem? You do have to keep the plow on because if you take the plow off, it will, it will fir- s- certainly it will snow. snow. Yeah, well, he doesn't put the plow on on purpose in the too early in November. <laughs> you know, you know who's superstitious? Farmers and baseball players. That's, that, that's it. There's rhythms that have to be done, things that cannot be but changed. But we're glad it's March. And we're glad it's, oh, you know, March. March 2nd. We're here. We're going to talk about what you preached about. Oh, we, we are. See, we're, we're, we're diverging from the regular. We've got another misquoted series coming up. But uh, Chris was, um, Chris was, was uh, had this past Sunday off. Yes. We gave him a, give him a break. Because he needs it every once in a while, you know the gears the gears are turning all the time with this guy. So every once in a while, <laughs> I need. Gotta... We had a marriage retreat, <laughs> yeah. right? Came home from that, and uh, little did I know I was fixing to get sick. Yeah. So I wound up sick. Uh, so it was really glad it all worked out. It all worked out. Chris yeah. is uh, highly medicated, by the way, in the studio, and uh, he's sounding better because no. he's got a little bit of a little bit of a sinus infection. So he's he's recovering. Uh, yes, but yeah. I was a witness to your sermon. Oh. Sat in the front row, was Thank able you. to take notes. Took notes. Okay, so she'll remember what I, Angie will remember what I said, but Chris, obviously, uh, I've just attentively uh, entitled this episode, Josiah Repentance and What's the Deal with Lent. So now you get to intro, you get to intro today since I'm the one that has, has questions to answer. <laughs> Josiah uh, Repentance and What's the Deal with Lent. That's right. Uh, you know, as we've been talking about misquoted and we've talked about how we've ruined all your wall hangings in your house, I actually think that might be a nice wall hanging, Joel. Josiah, Josiah Repentance and what is the deal with Lent? So confusing. Joel, okay. set us up. Uh, talk to me. What were you? What were you looking as a target towards when it came to the sermon? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So, um, so we were in Second Kings twenty-two chapters twenty-two and twenty-three. This is the story of King.
King Josiah, who uh, was a bright spot uh, in this time period as, as far as leaders were concerned, had a lot of, um, well, really like Second Kings, First and Second Kings is a story of there's some good leaders and there's a lot of not so good leaders. Josiah was one of the good ones. Um, toward the end of before before the kingdom of Israel and Judah, because Josiah is the king of Judah at this time, we have divided kingdom. Um, he's one of the last the last leaders, and then really about twenty like a quarter of a century after the end of his reign is when we have the Babylonian exile where we hear all those terrible writings of lamentations and all, all this uh, basically like God's people have been dispersed and they're, uh, the temple falls and all that sort of thing. The thing is with Josiah is that in the midst of God's people making a lot of decisions, poor decisions, uh, turning their back on God for a long, long period of time, Josiah gives a wake-up call uh, to the community. And he enters into, uh, I mean, the biggest thing is, he asked for the temple to be refurbished. It needs a little bit of uh, tender, loving care. It needs to be up, you know, updated, upgraded. And in the midst of that, they find this thing called the Book of the Law, the Book of the Covenant. Um, and they find it, which is like the central book, historically central book to the people of Israel. And they find it, and they're like, "What is this?" And then Josiah has it read, and he tears his garments, and he goes, we are in trouble as a people. We're not following what God has called us to do. Uh, we need to make some serious changes. But then goes on, and as Second Kings 22 and through 23 will describe, goes on and makes significant reforms uh, in Judah. And uh, in doing so, I what I was talking about specifically shows the nature of repentance, shows a heart of repentance toward God, and then fleshes that out in some very specific ways. And so, um, yeah, that's that's it was kind of my lead in. It was my promo for our Lenten season. It was, Joel. And you also um, kind of started this sermon out that you had not heard this story of Josiah until you were how old? Yeah, I was I was a freshman in college. And I'm, I'm sitting in a in an Old Testament literature class going, what? And, and we were trying to be all honest with each other here. It's like Second Kings. Like this is not at the top of my Old Testament reading list, right? Like we don't – because there's a lot of history there and we're kind of like I don't know what this – as they say, I don't know what this has to do with the price of rice and, and wherever, you know, so. But there's a story here that I know that has a huge um, implication for our times today. So I really like this discussion and how it can apply to our lives. And I love the Old Testament. Don't you, Chris? Like absolutely, the Old Testament, you can sit and you can say, man, I'm glad that I'm not the only person getting it wrong because there's a lot of people that got it wrong in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah the Old Testament gives me hope. Yeah. So, That's good. You know what? Not so bad. Yeah. Just like them. Yeah, I think it kind of ironic yeah. that you're saying, you know, you really hadn't heard the story of Josiah until your freshman year. In college, and yet here you have a son named. It's it's why it's why I named the. I will say after years ago when I encountered this, I the name Josiah stuck out to me because I'm like I'm like here if I wanted a kid, if I wanted a child, wanted to be the father of a child that lived lived a life that I would say was honoring to God, and I'm like there's Josiah right there. I mean, number one, he becomes king at age eight, eight, eight. which is like something. And he's a young adult. And this I've given this message before actually to young adults because he's in his 20s when he when he makes these massive reforms. And I don't know, we have a we have a way of thinking 
sometimes in our culture that are that our young adults are not capable of of significant things like this. And you know, by golly, I look at him and I'm like, here he is in his mid twenties, and he's 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 taken the countryside by storm by doing mm-hmm. a lot of massive reform things. So yeah. I just liked it, and I and that's why we said, hey, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna name child number two. We went with Aaron first, and then and then Josiah. We've got a lot of Old Testament kids that's what it is just and then you named. kicked it new testament yeah we were like aaron josiah then matthew and then of course as we say our fourth girl molly she is so the rules. i'm not trying to pin you with the story of the um, bible yeah. in your family because we have to remember josiah was in a line of kings that really his great-grandfather which was hezekiah was one of the good guys yep and then there was two really really bad guys it's kind of reads like a Western, yeah. you know, <laughs> Western or an Indiana Joe's, or, yeah. you know, kind of storyline. Like soap opera. Soap yeah. opera. Yeah, <laughs> one of those. But they create this whole culture right. that leads people. They they lead people into disobedience to God yep. and into sin. And that's, I think, if you if you have the historical context, when you start reading the story, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's idols in the temple. There are idols out in the countryside. There are these priests at the in the, what they call the high places. So there are these these altars or shrines or whatever it is where they're where they're burning incense and things like that in the high places. Because again, ancient within ancient Babylonian and Canaanite religions, I mean that's what that's what you did because the mountaintops are closer to you know closer to God or or whatever. And you start hearing the comprehensive nature of how in and seemingly relatively speaking not too long, they have completely lost their spiritual identity as a, as a people. And that that's just, it's shocking. And so when you, when you read about that and you see it and you're like, you're like, okay, how, how did we get here? How, how did we find, how did we find ourselves here? And, you know, I think, I mean, and again, the worst of it is we, we read there's idols everywhere. There's, there's temple prostitution going, going on. And then, then the the people of Judah are giving up their own children. It says giving mm-hmm. up the children to the fire of Molech, whatever. They're sacrificing, give it a burnt sacrifice of their of their children, and it's like, wow, that's pretty pretty intense. And yet, it's like, well, because there's a generation, there's a generational thing, and there's a lack of when Josiah find when this book of in the story when the book of the covenant is found in the temple. Most scholars think that this is that he's reading primarily from Deuteronomy because you'll see there's Deuteronomy language in those chapters, loving your all the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and so on, heart, soul, and strength. Um, within those books as well, in the Book of the Covenant, is a is a rhythm and a means by which the people are able to regularly come to repentance. It, it's built into their their social structure, you know. And I think I'm like. And then, and then when that that knowledge and that what is built in goes away, it's like oh, it doesn't take the people very long when they're not regularly being brought into the temple to repent, to be made right before the Lord, to acknowledge their sin. It doesn't take very long before they're going in a in a really strong direction the other the other way. And I I just think, heck, even for us today, you know, as followers of Jesus, it's like you know I'm a couple I'm a couple days away from you know. From from going off the rails, apart from being, you know, intentionally int- and being intentional, I guess is the way to is the way to say it. So these rhythms are critical. 
uh, you know, Joel, I go back, Angie, I go back to college, right? And we think of the languages. So uh, Hebrews, and when we're studying Hebrew, and when we're taking Greek classes, I don't know what your teachers were like, but my teachers always said this, listen, if you do not regularly use this at the end of this class, you will lose this. Yep. I'm just here to testify to the fact that I completely lost it. But this is that, that that's an interesting thing that you bring up, Joel, because here is a habit that the children of Israel are supposed to be following, a regular relationship. And these were practices put into place in order to keep them from being distracted. And here you go. They stopped those practices. They found themselves distracted, and it was a slippery slope downhill. And they're all getting – and the other thing is they're all getting together regularly for the religious practice. So that has not left them. And that's the other thing striking to me is like all the religious functions and everything, the temple is still there, the, the doorkeepers, the priesthood, all of that, that's still there. And it's like, so those people, it's like the whole thing has been compromised. Everyone's doing their job as they always have done. The machine, the religious machine keeps on functioning. It's just a question of what does that religious mean, uh, that religious machine serving ultimately. Right. And what happens here? So he's like, what, 26 years old. He's been in reign for, it says, 18 years. So this is happening around him. And I don't know, they find this book, and all of a sudden, this is what I really think draws us into the next part of the story, is that he doesn't just go pull out the megaphone and start preaching to everybody. What is his first action? It says in the scriptures, he he rips his clothes, and he totally surrenders himself to this what they've been missing and realizing, oh my word, God's must be angry with us, with me. And he um, begins this whole process of repentance. Yeah. And then, and then he gets super intentional, super intentional. But he takes care of himself first. And I, I think that's a key because oftentimes, isn't it easy? We've talked about this. How many times when we've said, Oh, look at the every person, you know, what are they doing? Yeah, we, Pointing we, the finger. We, don't, we don't hear from Josiah like, hey, man, it, it's not my fault. It's like my parents messed up, you know, like blame them, you know, <laughs> it's uh, that that's not how that's not what the conversation mm-hmm. is. There, there seems to be immediate responsibility, right? absolutely for himself. Um, and, and then when, upon doing that, he gets the people together and calls mm-hmm. and calls everyone back to faithfulness. And then he starts tearing things down. <laughs> and, you know, Chris, I liked what you said earlier, you know, about it's like, it's like he get, he's got a he he's got his head on a swivel. Yeah. He's, he's dribbling with his head up. If That's you, exactly if you could right. Say. Yeah. yeah. So second Kings 22 and 23, I'd encourage our listeners, uh, especially if you haven't listened to the sermon, uh, open your Bible, take a look through this and watch Josiah's reaction. Uh, there was one line that just stuck out to me when I was listening to all the things he was doing, all the, the ways he was trying to make right these wrongs in a repentant heart. Uh, and then uh, in chapter 23, verse 16, it simply said, then Josiah looked around. And, and I just thought that was kind of good. Like, okay, what else? Yeah. What else? And And I think either we can get into this now or we can jump into it later, but I think this is part of the repentance struggle that we still have today. We partially repent of things. And he's, it's as though he's looking to do this thorough job. Uh, then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them, burned on the altar to defile. It's like, hey, 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 we got to make sure that this is a complete job. And right. He's looking around. What else? What else? What else? Uh, boy, we would, we would do well to learn from that. 
There's a lot of action words here to show his repentance towards God. And oftentimes we can say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I want I want to be forgiven of this. I realize it's a sin. Help me turn and change my ways. But Josiah not only does that, he goes and he changes things and he takes and puts faith into action. And I think oftentimes we get stuck in that mode of saying, oh, you know, I, it's okay. Just like you said, Chris, this is okay over here. Uh, it's not really affecting me too much. Right. But no, Josiah say, no, clear the whole house. Yep. Not just something that's um, kind of just that little nudge of uh, that's right. keeping me from full repentance. Yeah. You just have to wonder, like, over the years leading up to Josiah, I I, I can assume, I think it's fair to assume, because from I think we have some examples from other Old Testament scriptures, these things, like the idols, they just sneak in. There's mm. one here. You know, maybe it didn't start with, maybe it started with one, you know, one priest off on a hilltop, like in one high place, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to burn sacrifice up here to another, to another God. And the thing is, it's like, Oh, okay. We can play nice with that and still, and still worship our, and still worship our God. But over time it creeps into the point where when we're seeing, it's very clear. It's like they were worshiping other gods in the Holy of Holies in the, in the place where only the one true God well, they were they were trying to be a uh, synchron synchronistic is the is the word. they're trying to synchronize all of these things and uh, just kind of make an amalgam, make a big mix up of of faiths and and again, God has been very clear. I, I'm not that's not that's not how you are to worship me, right? And I think Joel, this this ties to a book that you and I um, have read and um, we've read as a staff is called Live No Lies, and it talks about this impact of when something becomes normalized in the world around you, like your neighbor's doing this, your friend's doing this, you know, my buddy, the priest over here brought in this today, and it just kind of becomes normal. And that's exactly what's happened with the children of Israel. It's become normal. And so they, they don't know, and they have not, they don't understand that what is right what is God desiring? Because they've just lived in this culture that idol worship is what was going on. How many times, guys, uh, I think like in our counseling work, pastoral counseling work, where you're sitting down with somebody or a couple, you know, who, whoever it may be, and they've, they're giving you the, you know, they're just giving the story of how they got where they are. You know, it's kind of a, a, a series of things. And and then I, I think we're all like this. We we want to ask that question because we know people well enough. You know, is that all? <laughs> Have you is is that the full picture here, or is there anything left? Sometimes in coaching, we say, "What's the last ten percent?" Like you know, what is there is there something that you've you've left? And inevitably, I think, and I would say this has been in, at times in my own life true, where it's like, "Yep, I went 80 percent." of acknowledging the things that I needed to turn from the things I needed to release. But there's, there's these other, there's just the last few things that I think that I'm going to be able to hold on to that. If I give up most of it, isn't that, isn't that okay? And, and ultimately, and friends, this is what I hope we hear. Like God does not want a divided heart. There, there is, there is not like a, you get to ask, you get to ask him to dwell in 75% of who you are. You know, that is not a, that's not a, a paradigm that we can, we can operate from. So I, 
you know, that that's, I think, really, really interesting, you know, and to, and to Chris's point where it's just like, I'm looking for every inch, every space, every place where I am not aligned with the will of God. I'm not aligned with the things that he is, that he has called me to. And then I'm going to be really strategic about going after those things um, and, and, and to make actual change. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I've absolutely sat across from people who have said those very things, you know, like, well, I'm, you know, the hem and haw around a little bit. And I usually say something to this extent. Listen, uh, I, in my 20-some years, 27 years or so of ministry, I don't think there's anything you're going to say that's going to surprise me. So just, I mean, just go go the distance here. Be complete. I think this is true of us today, though, too. There are times that legitimately I can't remember all those things, but this is where I think we ask of the Lord, Lord, reveal in me yep. anything that needs repented for. And you know what I find? The Lord's really good at that. Oh, boy. I mean, that's David. I think of David's prayer, right? You know, mm-hmm. if there's any, if there be any offensive way within me, which, I mean, that's a dangerous prayer, by the way. Even if you think you're at a good, at a good spot, like I've been there before where it's like, man, life's going pretty good. I'm feeling close to the Lord. But do, do I even, because I think this is the other thing. We see the case of Josiah where it's like, okay, there are glaring problems, glaring problems that need to be repented of. There's also potentially the, I feel close to the Lord. I don't know of any unrepentant sin that is in my that is in my life or whatever. But apparently it can be a good rhythm to say, Lord, reveal to me anything that I'm unaware of or if there's any offensive way. Search me and know me, that kind of thing. Now, there's there's – that's a repentant heart. That's a dangerous prayer to to pray because, boy, oh boy, I think you're right, Chris. Like, God will God will show us stuff, or He'll send. My experience, He'll send someone to you that that'll drive you up a wall. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> Can we bring this conversation directly to today? Yeah, for for just a few minutes. I always smile. When somebody comes and says, oh, we are living in the worst of times. And then I'm kind of like, yeah, have you ever, I don't know, read the Old Testament? It was kind of bad. Yeah. Because even those who, you know, the, the children of Israel are being led astray. I think that these are not good times. So I want to be very clear at that. But they did something. The Lord had built into this people the rhythm that you're speaking of. I feel like today we... We have a heart that sort of wants the Lord to take the throne. Uh, it's the percentage of our hearts that we really want him to be in charge. Um, I'm getting ready to speak here in, uh, in this last misquoted uh, series about it's going to have a theme along parenting. You know, we look, at, we look at our kids, and at the end of the day, we want them to be successful the question is, do we want them to love Jesus? Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. we tend to invest in areas that we think are important for them to socially connect with. I feel like that's true of the church, too. We, we kind of love the Lord, but there are these intentional rhythms that just kept coming back through Scripture that helped position them to say, whoa, i got to keep focused on this. Uh, Joel, you've been really good in my life. Uh, at pointing me back to some of these rhythms that maybe haven't necessarily been a practice of our church. Why has this been so important to you? Well, so, and this is not, and I always want to be very, very careful. I, you know, I, we come from a, what we would call in everyone in this room here, a low church tradition where, you know, 
the uh, the smells and the bells and the the kind of the fancier stuff of some of what we look to be like you know our folks that are in a mainline protestant tradition or a catholic tradition where there's um they just have a lot of these a lot of rhythms like this built in right built into their christian calendar built into their christian year even their individual worship settings and and we say you know from our tradition well we're we're trying to you know we're trying to keep it simple we're trying to you know we're we're kind of maybe going in some different directions I I have just reflected and said, okay, I don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this one. Like maybe there are practices of, I mean, we as Christians, our 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 tradition has been around for over two thousand years now, and like there are some very ancient things that I think can be really really helpful uh, to us. Now we regularly we practice one of them, like. We do, do do two things already that we know that are like baptism and celebrating communion together. You know, we see those ancient practices. I, I, we, we've, we're talking right now about, right, about even this evening as we're recording right now, um, you know, celebrating Ash Wednesday in the beginning of this Lenten season. And Lent is all about literally, literally means to slow, right? To, to kind of slow down, to repent, to reflect, and to prepare ourselves for the really beautiful day that's coming when we celebrate resurrection Sunday and Easter and an empty, an empty tomb. So. So when I look at some of the holidays and things that the church calendar really celebrates, we like to celebrate. We don't like the pain side of it. We like Christmas. Christmas is great. Why savior was born. We love Easter, but we really don't like good Friday very well. We really don't care for Monday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really don't care for Ash Wednesday. Why? Because they're pain points. Shauna, my wife, and I, we were just having a conversation about an hour ago, and we were talking about how pain is really important in our life, and yet at the same point, we don't like it, so we try to shy away from it and we run from it because it makes me feel uncomfortable. I just want to celebrate. I don't want to think through any pain point or any repentance or anything that says I was wrong. We just, we don't like those. They make us feel uncomfortable. And I think that's a cultural thing that we found today. And so events like Lent, uh, like they they just require us to focus back at the whole process. We just want to fast forward to last chapter and read the end of the story. I love me a good Easter celebration, but, but my goodness, you know, um, a lot of a lot of hard things had to happen before Easter was even was even possible, and and generate generations of sorrow and loss and captivity and and suffering and all and all of that. So right, and I think Joel to just add on this the whole idea of rhythms and spiritual disciplines and even looking at who our example is in the scripture. Like even though you said these ancient practices, well, we kind of have a great example in the scripture, and that is Christ. Yep. And one of the things that we overlook, how many times does he have that rhythm of what? Going away from the crowd and praying and communing with his with his Lord and his Father and how he had that opportunity. He made it possible. And sometimes he didn't even sleep. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I know he's Jesus and I know he's God, but he was also fully human. So take that into consideration. He got there. tired. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And yet he never sinned. And yet he was able to show us this process of, of living out the idea that it really isn't about how we feel. And that's what I'm going to point out here is because I think in our culture, we, we, we would even be in conversation, Joel, and you'd be like, man, I might say to you, I really feel, 
you know, that this is where I'm going. And if, oh, I feel, you yeah. know, sad about this, or yeah. I feel happy. And it's all about feeling where in this rhythm is actually a process, an understanding, a belief. And so living out a rhythm of confession, repentance, separating yourself out from the crowd, not always being right. in the midst. And I think that's often been said, it's more about being than doing. Yep. Yeah. And setting yourself up for this idea that when you start to be, guess what? The confession and repentance kind of comes a little naturally because you start to recognize a little bit more about yourself and who God is. Yeah. And when we don't, and and again, if you hear the word repent, you're like, repent, repent. Like it it can feel like this heavy word. I said this on Sunday, like, like, you know, like, oh, we're supposed to repent and be this kind of morose, sullen, you know, uh, just, I'm just, I feel bad. I feel bad all the time. And like, that's, that's my, you know, feeling bad about who we are is like, that's what real spirit spirituality is. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned a second Corinthians seven, mm-hmm. uh, 10 through 11, um, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I, you know, <laughs> like, the whole the whole idea here is repentance is about life, it's about joy, it's about fu- it's about fullness. Um, so we're, we we want to. God longs for us to come to Him to repent and be healed and be whole. That's the purpose. Not not that like not just living this life of like um, you know I'm just beating myself up all the time about about things. It's like no, that's actually that's death. <laughs> the, that's that's worldly sorrow where people just feel bad all just people feel bad all the time and then we you know we come we pat them on the back we look there there it's going to be okay it's like no sometimes hey have you considered the need to repent um, not not out of a place of judgment being judgmental about anything but out of a place of desiring healing uh, from God um, the one the only one who can provide it to well, us well I think the word here I mean Chris used the idea of a pain point how sometimes godly sorrow kind of is hurtful we don't want to go there it's a pain point. But godly sorrow also has a hope point. And I think oftentimes we get stuck on the pain point and forget that the hope point exists, and that's in Jesus Christ fully transforming us. And I think, Joe, in your sermon on Sunday, you talked about this. We often get in this neutral. We kind of set in this neutral. Well, I don't have any—you you said it. I don't have anything to really repent of. I'm not living in sin. You know, I'm not doing something crazy. Well— we all know that there is no neutral in our Christian life. There's either formation towards Christ or deformation. And oftentimes we sit in that neutral position too long. So who gets to us? Yeah, absolutely. Who gets to us? It's this whole thing that's happened with the Israelites. The culture around them gets to them. Satan kind of, you know, kind of entices them with, entices with lies or a misunderstanding. And all of a sudden our neutral becomes really a, a deformation from who Christ wants us to be. You know, and I, as I think just practically, as I think about the fact that just in a short while, we're going to gather together in our sanctuary and we're going to, we're going to hear, we're going to hear the words of the prophets and we're going to hear the words of, of uh, the apostle Paul and the words of Jesus spoken over us about, about repenting and forgiveness and wholeness. And we're going to, we're going to sit in those and we're going to, you know, and we're going to confess together. We're going to re- again. We're going to read words all at the same time together of saying, "Lord, forgive us where where we have not done what we ought to do," and Lord, forgive us where we have um, where we have done what we we should not have done. Where we you know the omission and the commission, and 
and we're going to say those things together, and that's powerful and that's meaningful. And I think there's a place for that as a as a Christian community collectively. And you know, and we're going to we're also we're going to receive receive the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're going to be reminded of of His gift and the fact that what He did and what He alone did even makes repentance possible. Like you could repent all you want, but if you don't have a Savior that's overcome sin and death, then well, like, like you know, forget that too, right? So we're gonna like we're gonna celebrate this tonight. But we're going to be serious. We're going to be serious about it. It's like one of the more, like like you said, Chris, we always want to have a celebration. The way we celebrate the realities of repentance tonight will be a little more serious. It's going to be a little more serious. We're going to, and we're going to get, we're going to get some, we're going to get some, uh, we're going to get some soot on the, on the forehead too. So but Chris, I think this ties back to your favorite word, doesn't it? This intentional. Is, yeah. Intentional. And it also is making a process of that rhythm intentional, that we take it and we make that time, we make that place. And in that, we become better disciples Absolutely. of Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, that's Chris Knight words. Absolutely. You heard, you know, it, you heard it here. I, I just think about, you know, Angie, you said something a little bit ago about pain and uh, really what pain does to us. If, if the church really understood pain, understood the suffering and lived in that moment of of the sacrifice what the lord has actually done for us then i think it makes the gathering process of what church should be yeah. that much more powerful now you can celebrate if you don't have pain in your life what is it what is it that's really interesting to me people who are just independently wealthy and don't even know what to do with that. They're always looking for something. Why? They're bored out of their mind. Mm -hmm. They need something. They don't realize, and everybody who's living in pain looks at that and says, wow, what a blessing. If we could just be like them. When you're living in only the good stuff, you take for granted the good stuff that you have. And I just feel like the American church, if we fully grasp what the Lord has done for us, what he's actually calling us to, and lived in the a little bit of the pain and took took honestly took gathering together in church on a Sunday or whenever we meet took it seriously i think we would be different people yeah. but we take it for granted this idea of gathering yeah i'll be there whenever i want to be there. it's kind of important to me yeah i don't know i got aau this week yeah yeah i get this yeah, i get this and i just think it's a point where we have conditioned our own hearts for the results that we have yep yeah. So, you know, uh, we don't have a magic bullet for all of it, but I think as far as today is concerned, we would say, are there rhythms of repentance in your life? D does maybe if you're at a part of a different faith community, are there places where you're getting together? Conf you know, as James says, confess your sins to one another, Con a place of confession, a, a safe place where, where people will handle uh, your transparency and your realness with tenderness and with care and with love. Um, that's what we're, that's what we pray for. That's what we're hoping for. Um, so friends, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you, uh, tuning in. We will be uh, back next week with another, uh, another great episode, uh, as Chris maybe lands this plane and misquoted. Is this, is this it? This is the last one. So, uh, it's going to be a, as these kids say, it's going to be a real banger. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that conversation. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a Going to be a bumpy landing. <laughs> it might hurt a little bit. Bumpy. Some of those pain points you're talking about. <laughs> Chris is just looking to get me to take down one more precious wall hanging, uh, <laughs> one more quote that I had on my wall that I was completely misusing. Uh, but until then, we uh, just hope that uh, yeah, hope that uh, all of you are doing well. Obviously, if we can 
uh, connect with you in any way, obviously you can head over to walkemc.org or give us a call here at the church. Love to just continue to partner with each and every one of you. Um, we want this to be, yeah, I want this to be a ministry that, that meets you where you are. So until next time, we wish you all grace and peace. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.